It's time now for Setting the Record Straight on KOHI with Melinda Bernard. You can call the show now at 503-397-1600 or toll-free at 877-397-1632. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KOHI, staff, management, or sponsors. Now, here's Melinda. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Setting the Record Straight. Happy Friday. Today is October 1st, and uh, believe it or not, we are already entering campaign season. And the hottest campaign this year is for sure going to be the gubernatorial race here in Oregon. And today we are very fortunate to have our first candidate on this morning, and that is Patrick Starnes. Patrick is um, a Democrat running for the office of governor. Uh, Thank you so much, Patrick, for joining us. Good morning, Melinda. Thanks for having me. So Patrick, let's start off a little bit about you. Um, um, my regular listeners will remember that you ran for governor three years ago, or is it three years ago? Yeah, um, as an independent. So let's start about your political trajectory. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Roseburg and in 20, uh, 2002, I ran for the city council in Roseburg as an independent. And I lost by only 17 votes. It was so close. And we even had a recount. And uh, it just it renewed my trust in the Oregon vote by mail system because there's a paper trail. So when all the volunteers at the courthouse counted those, um, I still didn't win. But it, it really shows how important every vote is. And, and that's uh, how powerful our democracy and then after that, I was uh, on school boards for over 10 years. First in Roseburg, I was on the Douglas ESD school board, which provides all the special needs for kids, like speech pathology and all those other special needs that kids have across the whole county of Douglas County, 13 different schools we serve. And then when my wife and I moved to uh, McKinsey River in 2012, I got on the small school board of McKinsey River school board and now we're restoring old houses in brownsville and uh we just finished a project was 1878 so it's really an old fixer it was abandoned and now it's it's sold and it's it's got people living in it so it's so great and exciting oh my goodness you are busy so yeah let's let's talk about um let's talk about your platform one of the things that you've talked about continually um, is campaign finance reform. Why Why is this such an important issue for you? Well, when I was uh, on those school boards, uh, sitting in those meetings for over 10 years, I saw a lot of factors that were influencing schools and, and taking money out of the classroom. And hopefully we'll be able to get into the details of that. And so what I realized that campaign finance reform was the key factor in almost every issue in Salem uh, getting the big money out has to happen first and that's what my promise is in the first hundred days that we had set some limits because you may remember last november we passed uh, successfully uh, a constitutional amendment which allows us to set limits that constitutional amendment didn't set any limits and we were really hoping for the legislature in this last session between february and june to set those limits because that measure 107 passed with 78 percent which was a mandate to Salem to set some limits and and the speaker and her lieutenants failed to do that unfortunately so 
we'll be doing that in our first 100 days. Well, let's talk about, let's drill down to this just a little bit. What do you see as a reasonable campaign reform? Like what, what, what are we looking at? Are you, would you ideally get rid of lobbyists altogether or lobbyist money to candidates? Um, should candidates receive any money? Should they self-fund? I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, well, we're role modeling what I believe would be fair uh, to both parties and all um, people involved in, in elections, be it the candidates or the voters. And what we've done is we're not taking any corporate money and we're not taking any PAC money and we're setting our own limits to $1,000 per person per year. So, which is quite a bit, you know, cause that's like $80 a month, which is the size of our Brownsville water bill. So you'd really have to budget even to, to be able to spend $1,000 a year. But we feel it's really important to set those limits and because a lot of the smaller donors, which we see coming into our campaign every day, are like $25 donations from young people that are struggling to make ends meet, but they really feel like their voice needs to be heard and not drowned out by Comcast or big uh, PAC interests that, you know, that donate hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay. Well, you know, are you new to the Democratic Party? Because as I said earlier, you did run three years ago as governor on the independent ticket, and now you're running under the Democratic ticket. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I, I originally was uh, the secretary of the Douglas County Democrats when I lived down in Douglas County. But when uh, Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton agreed to pass NAFTA, I felt like that impact not only to the environment and to the people of Mexico, also hurt a lot of American jobs. I mean, we saw a lot of jobs leave the country after NAFTA was passed. So I was disappointed with the corporate Democrats and, and left the party back in the 90s. But now I'm encouraged because uh, in the first 24 hours, President Biden signed the uh, order to stop the XL pipeline, which he could have avoided that issue or kicked that can down the road like many others have. But within his first 24 hours, I felt like maybe it was a new Democratic Party that was concerned again about working people and the environment, which is what I'm concerned about. So I've rejoined the Democratic Party just this year, and I'm excited to get it back to the people rather than the big corporate interests. So running on a platform such as yours, um, taking money, small, small donations, being more of a populist candidate, so to speak, do you feel that you're are going to be able to get the resources you need to be competitive? Um, so far, uh, House Speaker Tina Kotek has filed, as has Tobias Reed, our current treasurer. And uh, both of those candidates may be able to bring in some of that large money that we were just talking about. So how, how are you gonna be competitive in this race? Well, we're gonna have an advantage that the large uh, donor candidates won't have, or if you will, the establishment candidates. Um, because when you get a $30,000 check from Comcast, they don't go door to door for you. You know, they, they won't talk to their neighbors next door. They don't live in our communities. So they don't have that grassroots uh, organization that we will have with every small donation across the county and in all 36 counties is where we're going to be traveling and meeting folks just like in your county of Columbia County, uh, way out to Ontario on the Snake River and, and along Tillamook and, and, you know, way down to Lake County. We've traveled that 
the whole state back in 2018. And we've met a lot of great people across the aisle that support this populist grassroots people powered election or people powered campaign that would change. Because what we need in Oregon isn't just a different person in office. We need a systemic change. And what we're offering with this campaign finance reform change changes the whole nature of politics in, in Oregon and Salem specifically. There was an interesting article this morning, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, in The Oregonian about um, two uh, organizations. One is the Northwest Grocers Association mm -hmm. and the other is the Oregon Beer and Wine Distributors Association. And there um, maybe even a potential lawsuit over a lobbyist who did a poll for one, uh, the Beer and Wine Association. They do not, they oppose selling alcohol in liquor stores mm. and then um after his firm which is gallatin i think public affairs did the poll then he went to work for the the northwest grocers association who does want to sell right so there's Playing both sides this, right and there's this kerfuffle about switching sides but it sort of didn't really touch on the larger picture which is that these organizations who hire these very powerful lobbyists um you know are they really ultimately deciding if we get to buy you know a, a bottle of of gin or vodka at safeway you know it's 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 this uh, almost mind-boggling how much power these folks have and um you know how does that you know parlay into the governor's office i know they have a lot more influence at the legislature but at the governor's level do you feel like lobbyists have a lot of, of an inroad there well i i feel like in the governor's position uh, the governor depends on the legislature to pass these bills or these ideas that i'm putting forth you know um, so you need uh, uh senators and state representatives that are free of this big money influence so that they can feel uh free to create these new problems solving issue you know new solutions to problems that we're facing and i don't feel like we have that right now so it's just like they're they're under the thumb and in the in the shadows of this big money and they're not free to do the work that the people want you know and that's why as a populist that's my priority is to do the people's work not the corporate work or the special lobby interests like you're talking about and when i back in 2019 when we went and met with all the members of the Senate and the House to pass, to have them refer the constitutional amendment, measure 107, to the voters. I I got a sense from all of them, because they they come from humble backgrounds. Some are nurses, some are teachers, you know, some are workers like me, construction workers. Um, they don't want to have to have that special interest money or that big corporate money. So we have to, like I said before, we have to change the system and the way that we're elected by having these small donations from our neighbors in, across the state provide the, the resources for these elections. Because you, you, if you look at the chart back in uh, back in the late 90s, uh, it only cost $2 million for, for them to run for governor. And then when Dudley and Kitsap got it, it was $17 million. And then when Brown and Bueller, it's $20 million. So, you know, we have to get it back to uh, to a reasonable, uh, you know, ways or, 
you know, because we're one of five states that have no limits whatsoever. Okay, and I'm going to jump in here real quick. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And okay. we're going to talk more about that and also about your plan for PERS. So stay with us. Right. There's more to come. This is Setting the Record Straight. Hello, it's Count Von Helen with a special thank you to our Spirit of Halloween Town sponsors this year, including Juan Credit Union, Keller Williams Real Estate, the Jane Garcia Team, Cascadia Home Loans, the Bigfoot Cart and Brew, 503 Distilling, St. Helen's Best Western, and Liquid Death. Take it from me, Count Von Helens. These people work hard behind the scenes to give us all a good time in front of the scenes at Spirit of Halloween Town through October 31st here in St. Helens. Go to discovercolumbiacounty.com for times and tickets. Columbia River Carpet One in Rainier, Oregon is open for business, and we've taken the precautions of making everything safe. So if you want to come in to buy floor covering, now's the time at Columbia River Carpet One. We've got special prices on waterproof luxury tile. We stock it, and we have it on a special price right now from $1.99 a square foot. What a great buy. Carpeting, we've got several specials right now on carpeting where you can get the carpet installed with pad at one low price. So if you want to buy carpeting or you want to buy waterproof floors, you want to come to Columbia River Carpet one in Rainier, Oregon. Richardson's Furniture has filled their entire store with names you can trust. Broyhill, Lane, Flexsteel, and Best are just a few. Our bedroom sets are second to none and feature companies like Broyhill, Tradewinds, Oakcraft, and many more. Mattresses from Simmons, Englander, Tempur-Pedic means you can trust Richardson's for a good night's sleep. And like we say, surround yourself with elegance. Richardson's Furniture. Bill Eagle, I heard that Columbia County Rider has reduced their rates. Yes, it's only $2 any place inside county. What? $2 in county? Only $2. What about outside the county? Okay, it's $3. Okay, Bill, so that's $2 in county, $3 outside the county, and... If you're a veteran, if you're a student, if you're a senior citizen, it's $1 in county and $2 outside of county. And that's CC Rider. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind just a little. It's setting the record straight on KOHI with Melinda Bernard. Call the show now at 503-397-1600. And we're back. We're talking this morning with Patrick Starnes. Patrick is the a Democratic candidate for governor, for Oregon's governor's race, which is already kicked off, um, even though the election is more than a year away. I want to thank you again, Patrick, for taking the time to be with us this morning. So before break, we were talking about the cost of campaigns, and you had mentioned that it was that the last cycle um, when um, Kate Brown ran against Newt Bueller, that it was $20 million, but it was, you actually meant $20 million each. Each, yeah. 40 mil, almost $40 million, which is double what Kit, Kitzhaber and Dudley's race was, uh, I think, were they back in 2014 or something? But within, you know, within uh, 10 years, it's just gone insane. So, and, and that's why Oregonians get that. And they, they really want to see things reined in. And uh, like uh, people have said, it's like the wild, wild west, because there's no limits whatsoever. And that's what was disappointing about the, the last session, is that the speaker and her lieutenants could have really 
taken the momentum of Measure 107 with the 78%, which is a bipartisan. I mean, even the lowest county was 60% in Lake County. So th this was across the spectrum. Everyone supports getting big money out of politics. So let's get her done, you know, so. That's, okay. That's your so first 100 days. Speaking of big money, you have an idea for a PERS program and how it, um, tell me how it would impact, like tell me about this program and how it would impact local and state government and even taxpayers. Well, I, I call it a, a grand bargain because th there's two things tied together. You know, I've, sitting in the school board meetings, like I said, for 10 years, I kept seeing um, the cost of healthcare going up to, for our teachers. And, and that's dollars leaving the classroom. Um, and same with the PERS debt, because the example I use, PERS is like a upside down pyramid because you have a lot of baby boomers leaving, but you don't, we're not able to hire a lot of new uh, young public employees. So my idea was to turn that pyramid over and broaden the base of support for our pensioners by having all the workers in Oregon be part of PERS. So your gas station worker, your restaurant worker, you know, they could all be part of PERS and that would support the retirement. At the same time, the other half of the deal is that even private sector employees, employers um, have to spend, like let's say you had 100 employees at Bymark or more, you're spending a million dollars a year on private health insurance. So if we make OHP for all, this is my plan, you're gonna allow that employer to spend that money on PERS. And we changed the name from PERS to OURS, Oregon Universal Retirement System, which is ours. Because another thing I, I didn't like when I would go to my construction jobs is those, you know, a lot of workers would say, oh, those damn public employees, you know, they're getting all the good things. And, and so I didn't like that us and them animosity. And I would like us to all be part of a good thing. And that's uh, OHP for all and PERS for all. And they're tied together because you have to get the money freed up by having the health insurance covered, not only in the schools or other, even your your county employees and your city employees, those, those costs add up. And then once that money's freed up, you can have the money put into a broader base of PERS. And have you crunched the numbers? Any sense? Yes, it does, absolutely. And have you crunched the numbers on this? We haven't yet. And again, I would depend as a governor, I would depend on the legislature free of big money, hopefully, to to solve that problem. So what I'm putting forward are these these bold ideas that can get um, the legislature going. And like I said, the first one is getting big money out in the first hundred days. The next one would be OHP for all, which would free up the money where people could have uh, OURS hours. Well, if you are elected governor, how do you intend to get the legislature to go along with these great, you know, these huge ideas? They're they're very they're very progressive and forward thinking, um, which isn't really doesn't often fit with how the legislature is. They're slow, they're grinding, and some and often not, you know, open to new ideas, especially something as large and and life changing as this plan. Uh, so, so how would you do it? How would you get them to, you know, go along with you, be supportive? Well, I think what's important 
for one, we'd have a different kind of legislature because we, we would have limits on who could contribute. Um, and that would be a game changer. But I, I feel like uh, not only is campaign finance reform a very common bipartisan issue, I think affordable health care is also, no matter, you know, I'm self-employed and, and my wife and I spend over 10% of our income on, on health insurance with a $16,000 deductible. So it's just crazy, you know, for, for working people to have to, and so many workers go, like their gas station workers, they have no health insurance, but they make too much to be on the Oregon health plan. So what I'm saying is that I think that the, the initiative for the legislature is these bipartisan issues, these common ground issues, and same with them wanting to tackle PERS and, and not attack public employees, but expand the, the pension program for, for all of us. And, and what's really important about both of these things is they're totally transferable. So let's say maybe you work at the county as a public employee, but now you want to go to the private sector. Well, your, your OHP for all and your PERS for all would transfer with you. So you wouldn't have to worry about being uncovered or losing your pension. You know, which a lot of people that you may know, I know some, they stay with these terrible jobs they hate just because of the benefits package. And, and that's right. very sad. And unfortunately, you know, you're tied, your medical is tied to where you're working. And so you're, so you're saying that, and I do want to come back to mm -hmm. um, health insurance because that's, we could do a whole show on that. But so you're saying that you believe once you're elected, and you are able to get maybe some campaign reform, finance reform that you're going to have representatives and senators who are more in line with your thinking that they're ready to actually make a big change. So yeah. you, they'll be more likely to go along with their priorities because they won't be so tied to the lobbies, which drive so much of the policy. Yeah. And other, uh, other common ground issues is no matter how large your community, uh, even Brownsville has a very small homelessness problem. Um, and of course, as you get a bigger city like Portland, it's just astronomical. So that's a, again, another common ground issue that, that, that I think that we could get a bipartisan support, um, but we're gonna need these new creative uh, solutions. And part of mine is creating a, a designated fund that's called the Oregon Shelter Fund, which would allow us to, to have money specifically go to help uh, counties and cities uh, build housing. You can match it with some federal monies. And as a, as a builder, I can't wait to swing a hammer and build some shelters for more, more of Oregonians. So I want to talk about your ideas on housing, but first I do want to go back to healthcare. So yeah. Oregon has often been the leader in all, in all kinds of social programs. Um, so what do you think? Is it single payer? Is it universal health care? I mean, how do we achieve it so that everyone has access to health care and that um, then we, so, you know, it's so complicated because mm -hmm. hospitals, many of them, you know, they're for profit. And we, we need to, I think COVID has shown that we need to be paying our healthcare workers and not just physicians and nurses, but the CNAs and the people who clean the rooms and all of the support staff good wages because we are losing people left and right due to COVID and the pandemic. So what do we do? How, how do we get there? You know, or what's your answer for Oregon? Well, a, a federal program has the chance of being more of a single payer program. 
But since a portion of our, our money that helps us with healthcare costs comes from the federal government, I call our, our system uh, uh, universal healthcare. Because what's important is we wanna, we wanna just make sure if, if you live in Oregon, you're covered by OHP. And we also wanna improve OHP because you know, it doesn't cover vision and dental. So we wanna have a better coverage so you're not getting less coverage if you, if you join OHP for all. So one of the things that's killing us, and, and, and the statistics show that, we have increased obesity, uh, diabetes, heart disease, and a lot of this is from our junk food. So what I, I propose to pay for the Oregon Health Plan, I, I create another Oregon Health Fund that's designated for, for this OHP for all, which comes from a sin tax like we have on tobacco and alcohol. That's a junk food tax, and that helps cover those costs. So we're, we're not overburdening the system. And plus, it's not part of the uh, general fund, which is where all the fighting happens in Salem. You know, it's got a designated fund that's a hands-off fund that just goes for um, health care. Just like I was saying, a hands-off fund that just goes for Oregon Shelter Fund. Okay. Housing. Great. Thank you so much. Um, it sounds like you have really thought this out. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about your ideas for affordable housing and sheltering the homeless. So stay with us. This is Setting the Record Straight. We'll be right back. Hello, it's Count Von Helen with a special thank you to our Spirit of Halloween Town sponsors this year, including One Credit Union, Keller Williams Real Estate, the Jane Garcia Team, Cascadia Home Loans, the Bigfoot Cart and Brew, 503 Distilling, St. Helen's Best Western, and Liquid Death. Take it from me, Count Von Helens. These people work hard behind the scenes to give us all a good time in front of the scenes at Spirit of Halloween Town through October 31st here in St. Helens. Go to discovercolumbiacounty.com for times and tickets. <laughs> Columbia River Carpet One in Rainier, Oregon is open for business and we've taken the precautions of making everything safe. So if you want to come in to buy floor covering, now's the time at Columbia River Carpet One. We've got special prices on waterproof luxury tile. We stock it and we have it on the special price right now from $1.99 a square foot. What a great buy. Carpeting, we've got several specials right now on carpeting where you can get the carpet installed with pad at one low price. So if you want to buy carpeting or you want to buy waterproof floors, you want to come to Columbia River Carpet one in Rainier, Oregon. Richardson's Furniture has filled their entire store with names you can trust. Broyhill, Lane, Flexsteel, and Best are just a few. Our bedroom sets are second to none and feature companies like Broyhill, Tradewinds, Oakcraft, and many more. Mattresses from Simmons, Englander, Tempur-Pedic means you can trust Richardson's for a good night's sleep. And like we say, surround yourself with elegance. Richardson's Furniture. Bill Eagle, I heard that Columbia County Rider has reduced their rates. Yes, it's only $2 any place inside county. What? $2 in county? Only $2. What about outside the county? Okay, it's $3. Okay, Bill, so that's $2 in county, $3 outside the county, and... If you're a veteran, if you're a student, if you're a senior citizen, it's $1 in county and $2 outside of county. And that's CC Rider. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind. 
It's setting the record straight on KOHI with Melinda Bernard. Call the show now at 503-397-1600. We are continuing our conversation with Patrick Starnes. Patrick is one of the Democratic candidates for Oregon governor. And uh, before break, we were talking about a lot of your plans that you'd like to see enacted if you are elected governor. But let's talk about housing affordable housing and sheltering the homeless you are in you are a contractor you're in the construction field so how do we go about this how do how do we obviously this is one of the most pressing issues if not the most pressing issue facing us today well one of the pressures that oregon has a unique extra pressure that other states may not have especially if people are leaving the state in the rust belt is we have a 10 percent growth per year melinda that's so with 4 million people, that's 400,000 new people moving to Oregon every year. That's like the metro area of Eugene Springfield, you know, and the outlying areas moving into our state. So that's part of our pressure is, is and I support the, the speaker's proposals to build ADUs and to do some creative uh, things with housing, especially having rent controls. And, and I support the, the ban on no, uh, no cause evictions that, that were allowed and so but when my wife and i are, are looking for abandoned homes to fix up we found like a hundred around the eugene area that are abandoned you know and then we we would make an offer on, on an abandoned home and fix it up and then resell it our first project was just out by the eugene airport junction city and uh, it was had been abandoned for six years after the the grandmother had passed and the family was didn't know what to do with it, you know. So, but there are many homes that we looked at that are bank owned, like Deutsche Bank, and, and a lot of uh, out of town people own these things. And so we need them to have the motivation to get those houses restored, get them back into operation so we can house all these people that are they're moving here and also just regular Oregonians have been here forever. But then there's this whole other. Uh, thing that we need to do is to have some state lands that provide housing and we have state lands that could do that and as the campaign gets going and hopefully we'll have debates with the other opponents we can get into the details of that but there are a lot of uh solutions the governor can can put forward and that's what i've always said is the biggest job for the governor is connecting the dots it's like you know you see all these these parts that need to be put together so i would build a table maybe literally physically build a table and bring all these uh, partners together because it's it's sad and ironic that we're the timber capital of the world and we can't house oregonians right well and we can't affordably house oregonians right. and obviously the the real estate market as you know has been nuts um and, and yeah, homes are not affordable. Right, right. So homes have not been keeping, the cost of homes clearly has outpaced the average wage. Yeah. And um, people who work, even if you were making $15 an hour, which many people don't even make $15 an hour. Um, I believe the last thing I read that even if you worked full time you and you live with someone, you still couldn't pay your rent. You still can't make it. Um, so what about minimum wage and how how do we it has not kept pace so for instance 
when I was a teenager, I waited tables and my husband and I were talking about this. We're roughly the same age and we both make $3 and 33 cents an hour. I remember. And I made those. tips. I made tips on top of it. And if you look at $3 and 33 cents an hour now, it's somewhere between seven, I think it's like $17 an hour. And I was a kid roughly compared to today. Plus I would walk out with tips. So I was making as a 16 year old way more than an adult today is making doing, um, you know, maybe even working in a grocery store, pumping our gas, providing a vital service. So obviously something's wrong here. We're, we're broken. So how do, how do we fix that? Well, the first uh, solution is that we, we could have not just a broad uh, minimum wage increase, but a graduated one. And I support that, that solution. Um, it, 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 in the rural areas where your cost of living may be lower, um, you may not need this, this huge wage that you need in Portland. You know? So having a graduated uh, wage increase or a minimum wage increase, I support thoroughly. Now, maybe it needs to be started at a higher place, you know? Follow the letter. You looked at that calendar, um, but maybe it needs to be increased quicker since we do have this kind of growth that we're talking about. And uh, the other thing about rural areas and and, and wood products that, that since my father was a uh, he worked at a mill in, in Dillard, a particle board mill, and I've worked with wood all my life. Um, I think that we could do more with our wood products in Oregon. You know, we ship a lot of logs to China. You see train loads of two by fours and plywood going. But when you go to Home Depot and Lowe's, you can't buy cabinets there that are made in Oregon, you know. And so my proposal, again, connecting the dots, is that we could do more with our with finished wood products, which those manufacturing jobs, as you know, are well paid, good paying jobs. So and we could have them scattered across the state because there are a lot of abandoned mills that have the existing infrastructure. They have major power lines, they have rail systems, but they're just sitting there vacant, you know? So I would like to see us do more with finished wood products. Um, and then we ship those things to the rest of America rather than just train loads of two by fours and plywood. So by finished wood, are you would you are you talking about like the laminated the um I can't I'm remember. talking about cabinets that, that yeah, we, we, cabinets, we, not the laminated uh, like timber that is being those, those two, but but what I'm saying is we supply all the pieces for somebody to make the cabinets at Lowe's and Home Depot, and then they ship us the finished cabinets. We so don't why make, not make them here. Yeah, right. I want to make I want to start making things here that are finished. So you get that added value from our wood products rather than just the raw wood products. And that's what, and same with, with the, the shipping the logs to China. You know, every time you sh ship a log to China, you lose that worker that makes two by fours or that person that makes plywood. So even those, those primary uh, wood products jobs are being lost because we're, we're shipping logs overseas. And, and, well, one of the reasons we've done that, and you mentioned early on about NAFTA, is that corporations, um, they always want to make more money. It's always yeah. about satisfying, um, giving CEO more money or satisfying their shareholders. And so they ship stuff off. I mean, we hardly make anything in the United States anymore. I think we've, we've discovered that. Um, we have a huge supply chain issue right now, as everyone's well aware of. So how, I mean, I love this idea of, of making things here. 
but how would you get corporations to agree to it when they can ship stuff off see you know overseas and have it come back and be so so inexpensive because those people aren't getting paid a living wage how do you get corporations to say okay we're, we're not going to be we're not going to instead of making billions of profit we're just going to make a fewer billions of profit yeah Instead of a hundred hundred billion, we'll just make it one billion. We'll still right, be billionaires, right? Right. Well, so there, there's a couple of different ways to go about it with the wood products. Uh, on the export, you can have an export levy, so that that every time you do ship raw products from Oregon, raw logs from Oregon, that revenue can come help us develop finished wood products factory in in on the Columbia River where you live. Um, you can also you you saw last session they tried to increase the severance tax on, on the actual forest products because the timber industry's changed since when i was a kid you know it's become more of a wall street timber timber industry with warehouser and and they they've lowered the the rotation of the crops if you will when i was a kid it was 80 years you you wouldn't harvest until you had 80 years now it's 30 years and so they're getting like three small tree harvests every 30 years. They're, they're over harvesting, in my opinion. And so we need to have a severance tax that would recapture some of that and come to the counties and the cities. And that would help um, fund some of these things that we need to fund, you know, especially the, the shelter fund, the Oregon shelter fund. Because when you have that kind of leverage with a high tax on timber, then warehouser can discount that timber as a tax cut uh, to provide that that wood product for uh, building homes for the homeless. You know, so it, it it just takes a creative, you know, connecting the balls kind of and building that table. Like I said, where you invite those corporations to the table and see the wood products providers to the table and the the, the Home Depot and Jerry's and and uh, lows to the table and let's see if, along with some manufacturers potential manufacturers to build these finished wood products so it it would be a lot of heavy lifting but i think uh, if we got the big money out of the way see right now there's a lot of big timber money you know tobias reed's got over thirty thousand dollars from the big timber industry and and so that's pretty shocking for a democrat and i have a deep uh, background not only in wood products but as an environmentalist uh, protecting the old growth in the umqua for over 10 years i worked on that well you have some um, innovative ideas and i think that that all sounds like a great potential especially in the rural areas where we have these mills pretty much sitting sitting empty as you as you mentioned and here in columbia county we have a deep water port um in Port Westward, and most of the projects that com the commissioners are interested in are heavy industrial energy. They started off with coal. There's mm -hmm. been ethanol. There's uh, now there's a, a biodiesel refinery that is is being planned to be built. So it's a whole different shift. So being able to retool this and actually make things and have products made in Oregon would be a huge difference. But we're going to take a quick break. We come back. I want to talk about COVID and okay. um, how you would grade Governor Brown on her job and how you would have handled it. So okay. stay with us. This is Setting the Record Straight. We'll be right back with Patrick. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my 
Hello, it's Count Von Hello yeah, with a now. special thank you to our Spirit of Halloween Town sponsors this year, including Juan Credit Union, Keller Williams Real Estate, the Jane Garcia Team, Cascadia Home Loans, the Bigfoot Cart and Brew, 503 Distilling, St. Helens Best Western, and Liquid Death. Take it from me, Count Von Helens. These people work hard behind the scenes to give us all a good time in front of the scenes at Spirit of Halloween Town through October 31st here in St. Helens. Go to discovercolumbiacounty.com for times and tickets. Columbia River Carpet One in Rainier, Oregon is open for business and we've taken the precautions of making everything safe. So if you want to come in to buy floor covering, now's the time at Columbia River Carpet One. We've got special prices on waterproof luxury tile. We stock it and we have it on the special price right now from $1.99 a square foot. What a great buy. Carpeting, we've got several specials right now on carpeting where you can get the carpet installed with pad at one low price. So if you want to buy carpeting or you want to buy waterproof floors, you want to come to Columbia River Carpet one in Rainier, Oregon. Richardson's Furniture has filled their entire store with names you can trust. Broyhill, Lane, Flexsteel, and Best are just a few. Our bedroom sets are second to none and feature companies like Broyhill, Tradewinds, Oakcraft, and many more. Mattresses from Simmons, Englander, Tempur-Pedic means you can trust Richardson's for a good night's sleep. And like we say, surround yourself with elegance. Richardson's Furniture. Bill Eagle, I heard that Columbia County Rider has reduced their rates. Yes, it's only $2 any place inside county. What? $2 in county? Only $2. What about outside the county? Okay, it's $3. Okay, Bill, so that's $2 in county, $3 outside the county, and... If you're a veteran, if you're a student, if you're a senior citizen, it's $1 in county and $2 outside of county. And that's CC Rider. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind just a little. It's setting the record straight on KOHI with Melinda Bernard. Call the show now at 503-397-1600. And we're wrapping up our conversation this morning with gubernatorial candidate Patrick Starnes. And Patrick, let's talk about COVID. How is Governor Brown doing with her handling of the pandemic? Well, I feel the governor's in a hot seat. Uh, where it's like a no-win situation. You know, if the governor didn't do anything with no mandates, no uh, mask requirements, no closures, we would have saw thousands of people die last in the last year and a half. So she had to do something. And so then when you do something, again, you lose because you're, you're you know, you're not going to be popular with, with these uh, mandates and things like that. So I, I think she's done as good as she could do considering the difficult situation that we're in. And just right off the bat, I'm going to say vaccines save lives and masks matter. That's where I come from. My wife just recently recovered from cancer, throat cancer in 2019. So it's personal for us. She's, uh, she's compromised. She's vulnerable and we can't mess around with people especially kids under 12 who are vulnerable, they can't be vaccinated yet. And, and, and different people that are, uh, that are vulnerable to, to this uh, 
next phase, the Delta, you know, even if you get the Delta variant and you've been vaccinated, you have a better chance of survival uh, because you were vaccinated the first time. And I want to encourage everyone to get the booster as soon as it's available. Okay. So do you think that Kate Brown was um, strong enough? Do you think that she should have locked down earlier at, or put forth stricter mandates? I, I Other states, um, some, some places are requiring vaccine cards to eat inside, to go to the gym, to be inside with gatherings. And Oregon's been pretty much, eh, you know, there's been a lot of changing, opening and closing, which I get. But, um, you know, would you have been a stronger governor in this respect? Or do you think she was just right on? Well, I may have required the uh, the recent requirement for healthcare workers and and teachers just happened this this school year. I may have required that straight away at the beginning, um, but I think that there was so much optimism that by by the fall of of twenty twenty that we thought we were going to overcome it. I think that was some false optimism, and so yeah, you may have had to be bolder, um, but I you know. I would also support, you know, we have requirements for students to go to school. They have a whole, there's like eight different vaccines that are required for students at schools, uh, like the hepatitis, both hepatitis A and B, polio vaccines. So there, there are already vaccines required for our students. And so COVID may need to be another, when, when it's allowed uh, and approved by the FDA, um, to be another one of those vaccines that's on that list. Okay, um, you know, l let's talk about um, the Oregon Employment Department. There was, um, it was just a mess as we all know. They were, um, their computers are antiquated. Uh, the agency has been come under a tremendous amount of fire for not being prepared, not being able to take care of Oregon citizens in our greatest time of need. What would you do as governor to move that along? Clearly they have a new director, they're trying to make amends, but still they they, they haven't been able to rise to the occasion. What yeah, it was definitely an overwhelmed system. Uh, just like when we had to sign up for Obamacare, like the system got overwhelmed. And uh, in, in general, I'm going to pitch you a, a broader uh, solution that, that I think would address not just COVID. We need an emergency relief fund that, that is set aside that, that would, instead of the kicker, it could go into this, uh, it wouldn't be a, it's sort of like a rainy day fund, but it would be tied to catastrophes like COVID or the big tsunami that's coming or wildfires, because we're now experiencing those every year, or even drought for farmers. So we need to have this 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 fund that's there for us, um, and it would help uh, these departments address these special uh, catastrophes, because you're going to have, if it's not the the, the labor department, uh, dealing with unemployment it could be the de department of forestry dealing with wildfires in cities you know we were close in brownsville last year of having to evacuate and when my wife and i lived on um, the mckinsey in 2017 we did have to evacuate so i know what it's like to be a refugee of a wildfire like 
many of my friends on the Umpqua and our friends and families in uh, the Sandy Am by Mill City in Detroit and down in in uh, Southern Oregon, we're, we're hit by that. So we need to have this special fund that helps us deal with these catastrophes. As you know, everyone's waiting for the bigger, big earthquake, the mega quake off the coast. So with this fund then, uh, because part of the problem was that the, the money was there, the federal government had given the state the money, but the checks just couldn't come out. They, they literally couldn't get the checks out because the computer system, which was had supposed been supposedly had should have been updated years before, but because government is slow and uh, the wheels just move so slowly that they were overwhelmed. The, the system just couldn't deal with it. So would this fund also include maybe a, a more up-to-date way to actually get people money? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it wouldn't just be uh, funds for boots on the ground, if you will. But it would be that kind of IT infrastructure that we need that, that you know, like when all the the power lines and phone lines go down uh, during the mega quake, you would have like like alternative uh, tech that could help us do the emergency services. And then in, in more of a pandemic situation, you would have IT experts improve, like you said, that should have been improved five years ago. Um, our system to distribute these funds for folks that need to pay their rent and, and need to put food on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing to be in the 21st century and have this antiquated uh, equipment, you know. So this this also goes into what we need to do for rural areas because we were just talking about how my Zoom screen's frozen here because uh, in Brownsville, we don't have this kind of high-tech uh, infrastructure I, I made a joke that we have an I-5 exit in Brownsville, but we don't really have a, uh, we're not connected to the interstate of uh, internet interstate. So we need to have broadband across the state as well. And hopefully the, the new infrastructure money that came through will go to that. But unfortunately, like you said, th th these things are slow and, and we need to, to speed them up because the whole concept of Zoom towns is 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 not even before COVID. People were moving to way out to Joseph in Northeast Oregon, so they could live in this beautiful place and work from home. And and that that's a an advantage Oregon can provide that other places can't. If but we have there's not Wi-Fi or broadband, right? Exactly. If we have the infrastructure that we need so bad. So let's talk a little bit about your campaign. Um, as you you know, you are going to be not be as funded as as heavily as um, so far your two opponents, Tina Kotek and Tobias Reed. So, how are you? What what's your plan here? Are you going to be crossing the United crossing the United States, crossing Oregon, and and how are you going to afford to do all this? Well, we're gonna we're still planning to raise a million dollars. I feel like that's plenty of money to to run a governor's race. It'll just be with lots of small donations. Like I said, we have a thousand dollar limit. We're not accepting corporate money, and we're not accepting PAC money. So it's gonna it's gonna need require lots of small donors, and we're hoping to to go to all thirty six counties and meet those small donors across. And we're using social media, which is an advantage that that it didn't have in the nineties. 
that we have now. You know, we, we saw it successful early on with Howard Dean when he ran for president as a governor from Vermont. And then uh, Obama picked that up. And then Bernie was really successful with the $27 donations. So we're, it's going to be that populist model versus, and what will happen, I predict, is there's going to be a, another big establishment candidate. I, I predict Betsy Johnson's also going to join the race. And she sits on a war chest of a half a million. So with those three duking it out with their big bucks on with ugly TV ads, we're hoping to, with our small hope chest, win the hearts and minds of Oregonians the old-fashioned way. So, okay, so as you know, Betsy is the state senator out here in Columbia County. Has she announced that she's running for governor? Or you're predicting that she's going to jump in the race? No, I have sources at the Capitol that assure me that she will. The big question is, will she run as a Democrat or an independent? I see. So, I see. Uh, so you could be facing three big money uh, uh, people who are well financed. Three. So you're just going to run a grassroots campaign. So how can people, if they're interested, we only have um, a little bit of time left in the show, less than one minute. How can people uh, support your campaign, Patrick? Well, folks normally give their web page first, but I want to give all your listeners my personal cell phone. Okay. Five four one six seven one seven eight two nine and i answer my own phone and and i'll talk to you directly i also have my email is patrickstarns at live.com and then our webpage has everything on it even how to donate your small donation is starns2022.com i look forward to hearing from people that's s-a-r-n-e-s correct yeah n-e-s yep okay all righty and um, great. So I just want to thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Uh, good luck on your campaign. And I'm sure this is not the last we've heard of you. And that is it for us this week. We'll see you next Friday. Thanks for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Well, you just meet me in the middle. I'm losing my mind just a little. You've been listening to Setting the Record Straight with Melinda Bernard on KOHI. Listen again next Friday here on AM 1600. You can email the show kohi.radio at gmail.com or email Melinda, strsradio at gmail.com. Hey.